This is We Are Netflix. Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. I recently sat down with some film executives at Netflix to learn about our unique approach to making movies. We can do things here that other studios cannot do, and I say that as a producer that worked at many of those other studios. The opportunity to tell an original story or the opportunity to lean into certain genres and categories of film that, for different reasons, have sort of lost their opportunity at theatrical. But that doesn't mean people don't want them, people don't love them. So we made an active decision to really lean into those categories. Being able to kind of lean into a type of movie that I naturally gravitate towards and am really passionate about, and then also being able to just start this whole new division. You know, beyond being able to make great movies, it's like the notion of trying to create a strategy that could be really beneficial to the company and to viewers was really interesting. That was Ori Marmer, Lisa Nishimura, and Nija Kirkendall, who are all vice presidents in film. I'm Lyle Troxell, and on this episode of We Are Netflix, our last episode of the season, Lisa, Ori, and Nija catch me up on the state of Netflix film in 2022 and explain how the company's approach to bringing movies to a global audience has shifted. Lisa Nishimura has been with Netflix for 15 years. So her own story is a great window into how the strategy for making movies at Netflix has evolved. When I interviewed for the role at Netflix, the company was still very much a U.S.-only DVD-by-mail company. And I actually first encountered Netflix as a user. I was just somebody that absolutely loved movies, and Netflix was the place to go to get access to every single movie. I was in New York City. I was running Chris Blackwell's independent studio called Palm Pictures. And so we were making independent scripted feature films. We were making documentaries. And a million years ago, it feels like now, you know, Ted Sarandos, believe it or not, was a buyer that used to come out. And so that's how I met Ted. Ted was a lover of movies. And he used to take the time to get on a plane and come out and meet with, you know, producers of films and wanted to talk about them to figure out whether or not to bring them onto the service. The name of the game then was trying to get the big box retailers to purchase your DVDs and present them in the store in a way that would get attention. And if they didn't, they would return every single one of those DVDs to you. So it was it was a it was a tough business. And I just remember as a creative, you know, we we'd work with our directors, we'd work with our filmmakers, you know, for years and years to see their dreams realized on screen, then we had them on DVD, and then I would sit across from a buyer at a retail chain who didn't ask me a single creative question, mm. right? They really wanted to understand what's the return policy of this. Like they didn't, it, it, it was clearly not about the craft. It was really about the commerce. And I just remember the quality of the conversation with Ted was totally different. Like he would ask me about the director. He would ask me about the process. He had just this incredible like thirst and curiosity about the creative. And I just remember thinking that that was so incredibly refreshing and he talked about Netflix being a place where you could get the biggest blockbuster movie and you could get a Bollywood movie. And that was really fantastic. When I joined in 07, the role was really to work directly with the independent producer community. And at that point, it was probably 250 to 300 independent studios and producers that we were buying from. So it was a pretty vast job. 
And what was fun in the interview, though, talking to Ted, talking to Reed, was while we talked about the business as it was, which was the opportunity of what one could do with you know such an exciting world of independent storytelling on TV and film, was also the future, right? It was before the formal launch of streaming, but it was what was clearly on their minds. And so that was the thing that made it really, really appealing to me because I was quite happy doing what I was doing in New York. I wasn't looking to, to leave, but there was something about the promise of the ongoing innovation of distribution of this idea that through technology, there was going to be an ability to provide even more access points, potentially on a global basis of story that got me really excited. And that was the reason that I really wanted to come. And then I would say that I've had the pleasure of being part of three pretty significant evolutions in the business, right? So I started in that role. It was physical DVD. And then not so long after was the launch of streaming, right? Which I think at the time we elegantly called electronic delivery, perhaps. It was something really, we were still trying to figure it all out. And it was such early days. It really, really was like the Wild Wild West. And, you know, the delivery of bits was still a little clunky. Certainly access to films and television was really, really limited. You know, we were still trying to figure out, you know, how to get access to that because the right for streaming is a, quote, TV, right? It's a subscription on demand, right? So most of the TV shows and, and, and films, I should say, were tethered or they were tied up in exclusive distribution deals. So our ability to access like a rich library was still quite nascent, but it was exciting. We were starting something new. It was a brand new sort of leap into streaming. And I think for the first year and change, we were offering it as just part of the service. And when you were in that space, I'm assuming you were reaching out to the same kind of independent filmmakers and producers and trying to get them to allow us to stream or to make a partnership with us to stream. That's right. And again, you know, I love the independent film sector and independent producer spirit because I think they saw that as yet another opportunity to continue to reinvent themselves. So, you know, at the time it was really quite funny because we weren't quite sure what the grant of right was for streaming. So I think it ended up becoming, obviously over time, subscription video on demand. But there were phone calls that I remember making where people would say, hey, do we have SVOD and can I sell it to Lisa and how much should I charge her? Right. Like it was such an early moment in time. And those were those were wild times. So the first phase of evolution that you mentioned was going from a physical DVD company to a streaming company. What was next? Well, I would say the second phase was going from a U.S. company to being a global company. And that was what streaming enabled, right? Because up until that point, we were tethered to whatever was the local postal service, the consistency of which is going to be really different all around the world. But streaming obviously becomes a borderless experience. And suddenly that gives you the opportunity and the experience to go from just being in the United States. And then I remember launching into Canada and that feeling quite exciting, you know. And now, of course, we're in 190 plus countries, but there were incredible learns through that process of international expansion. And then the third evolution was, you know, even when we were doing the global expansion up until that point, we were very much still in the business of providing a distribution platform for other people's creative work, right? We were licensing film and television from other studios and producers. And the third evolution was when we went from purely licensing other people's work to then going into original programming ourselves, right? And developing the muscle of making our own film and TV and documentary and comedy, etc. I asked Ori Marmer to describe our current film strategy. Strategy for film at Netflix, I would say, is 
to align ourselves with best-in-class filmmakers and storytellers in general, but really try and source the best material, best writers, best directors, best talent in front of and behind the camera, build trust, empower them, and let them make their best work. I've been here around four years. I think the entire film initiative is five, five and a half years old. The other studios have been doing this for a hundred years. Yeah. So they have a treasure trove of titles and properties that are branded that kids to grandparents have some familiarity with. So when I look at Netflix and I look at our strategy, our strategy is to build a studio kind of from scratch. We lean into originals. And there's something really exciting about telling these great creatives, hey, instead of breathing new life into something else that was created a few years or a few decades before you even had a chance to touch it, why don't you tell your own story? Mm -hmm. You know, you can make the first of hopefully whatever that franchise is. And the way the studio is built, which I think ties into strategy we can do things here that you just can't do anywhere else, meaning you can make a film that can pivot into series. You can make a film that can pivot into anime. You can make a film that can pivot into local language. And we've done it. So it's not just lip service. They're not what you think they are. What gets me excited about something like Army of the Dead is that you know, Zack Snyder had a long-standing relationship with Warner Brothers. And this was a script based on an original idea that we thought could cut through the noise. It was just a crazy idea. It's a zombie action heist movie set in Vegas. I mean, it sounds wild even just saying that. So we started making the film. And when we go to put our films together, we're always trying to cast diverse and global. You know, two-thirds of our subscribers live outside of the United States. So you want to cast as wide of a net as possible. You want people leaning in to like various characters. One of the people that we cast in the film was a terrific uh, talent named Matthias Schweighofer. And he played Dieter in Army of the Dead. And it was obvious very early on that he was, he was going to break out. And while American audiences didn't know who he was, in Germany, he's a really big star. But he's a really big star in comedy and romantic comedy. So it seemed odd to a lot of people at first why he would be in this movie. But he was the perfect comic relief. And his character brought so much heart to the film. And my colleagues in Europe called and said, hey, do you know who this is? I mean, this guy's a big deal. And I said, yeah, no, we know. And he's been terrific in the film. And they said, okay, whatever you do, don't kill him off. Because we'd like to do more with him. And we're like, listen... It's a zombie action heist film. You know, all bets are off. We can't guarantee that. And they said, oh, well, that's a shame because there might be something more we can do. And that led to conversations about like, well, hold on a second. What if we did a prequel? At the same time, one of our storyboard artists, Jay Oliva, really well-respected in animation with a long-time relationship with our filmmaker, was working on the show. And our animation team said, hold on a second. This is an opportunity for us to do an anime series. So before Army of the Dead was even released, we had greenlit the film, a local language prequel, 
and an anime, which is unheard of. No one does that. But at a place like Netflix, people really lean in. And someone said to me early on when I first got here, this is an innovative company. And in order to be innovative, you have to take swings. You have to take bets. So that was an experience that I had early on here. And that really helped me see the power of the platform and what we could do and how we could work cross-functionally because we're not siloed and really let filmmakers, you know, not only do their best work, but potentially like blow it out across the platforms in other mediums. That was exciting. And that plays into our larger strategy. You'd mentioned shows that we went ahead and decided to, you know, make three variants all at the same time, kind of like how other studios would do sequels years later. But we are actually working on sequels, right? We're you're working on Nola Holmes, a sequel for that, Extraction, The Old Guard, which I personally just loved. In that endeavor, do you think we'll be successful in building new, what other people might call franchises, but new worlds uh, that will be Netflix created? That's our aspiration. I mean, whether it's the titles you just mentioned, where we not only saw, you know, big audiences churn out for them, but we also saw fan love. You know, they really like these characters. That's what it really comes down to. If we see that people are responding to the characters, the goal is to make another installment that's hopefully better than the first. So your sequel is almost more important in a certain sense because you want to deliver, but you want to take people to places they maybe haven't gone in the first. More of the same can be okay, but actually taking characters they love and giving them a new adventure or a new experience or creating a couple more hurdles or twists and turns, that's what's exciting for us. At last, I would be a detective in my own right, worthy of the home's name. Dare I ask? When you look at something like Enola, what's great is you have a character like Millie Bobby Brown who has incredible success in a franchise on series. And now suddenly, you know, we have the potential to have incredible success with her in a franchise in film, which doesn't happen very often. So that's very exciting to us. I interview people a lot for this podcast about our culture and how it affects our business and all of that. And last season, for example, we focused a lot about our culture. And I'm just curious, in film, how does our culture play a positive impact in us being successful? Well, I think one of the things that's great about our culture is that people are honest. I think people are open-minded. And I think people do not get defensive when they hear any kind of criticism or pushback. The way the culture sort of works, it does at time take you out of your comfort zone but in a good way. It's a feedback culture. It's a collegiate culture. And there's no kicking the can or pointing fingers. We will sit in rooms together across several divisions and have conversations about projects, how much they really cost, where the pain points might be, what the challenges may be. But you're not having the conversation in a vacuum. You're not only having the conversation with your fellow execs on the creative part of the film team. 
You're talking to physical production. You're talking to visual effects. You might even be talking to marketing about the challenges of the idea, you know, before you even started or what makes it special or what you may want to lean more into because those are the aspects that they know they really want to bring to life in a campaign. But what I love is it's not three or four people. It's a lot of people from different parts of the world because it's very hard to make great film for the world if you're only in a room with people that live in one country, right? you know? So getting those other thoughts, ideas, feedback, you know, sharing what you're working on before you're fully baked or you're like in production with your colleagues in other places. Like, I love that. It's not a guarantee, but it definitely, it definitely helps. My impression so far of the culture is I have been very, very intrigued by, excited by, stimulated by, inspired by just this culture of transparency and conversation and dialogue and debate around strategy. What should be next? What should we be doing? What should we be experimenting on? What should we be pushing ourselves to be better at? How can we win? Nisha Kirkendall was a creative executive at Warner Brothers for over 13 years before she joined Netflix a little less than a year ago. She now heads our new mid-budget film division. You know, just kind of all, it feels like so many pieces of dialogue around how to grow and move forward as a company that's happening out in the open, in the hallways, on the Google Meets, in a way that really doesn't always happen, I think, in the traditional studio system, or probably many traditional companies at large, not just the studio system. And so that has been really fantastic to enter into, especially starting a new division at the company, because this is this is new, right? This is a little bit of a startup within like a huge, <laughs> amazing company. Yeah. You know, when you're the lead like that, when you're the VP of this whole area and we have the freedom and responsibility culture, is it intimidating to know that you're the one that makes that decision? Of course, there is pressure to this notion that, you know, you're responsible for creating a slate of movies. And I think many of my colleagues at Netflix, including myself, are, you know, we want to win. And so there's I'm definitely I will own that I am a type A personality. I want to do well. I want the movies that I make in the slate to make impact on the service as well as just in the world. And so, you know, I think there's, I feel a lot of pressure for myself for this to be great. I think coming from the background I come from as a creative executive, you're kind of used to, even like at Warner's, you're picking your movies as a creative executive, you're advocating for the filmmakers you want to advocate for, you're taking bets. So there is a history of the job of taking on that pressure of like, this is my slate of movies that I'm putting myself on the line for, that I'm advocating for. I believe in this movie. I believe that billions of people are going to believe in this movie as well. I'm crying at this movie. I believe that everybody else is going to cry. Or I'm laughing. I believe that everybody else is going to laugh. So there's always, no matter what level you're at as a creative executive in film, there's always a certain level of needing to kind of believe in your taste and trust yourself and take bets and risks. When you're being courted to join us at Netflix, what was the pitch that that sold you? 
The pitch was the idea of coming and starting this new film division and being able to start it, build it from scratch, and also kind of dive into a space of movie that I loved. I'm sure everybody feels this way, but I feel like I get to do the fun movies. (laughs) Um, I, I get to do the movies that I certainly grew up on. I feel like a lot of us grew up on that were the event movies for studios 15, 20, 30 years ago. The movies that were high concept, commercial genre, filmmaker driven, A-list talent driven movies, the rom-com, the thriller, the grounded science fiction, the horror movie, the event horror movie. We're going to be focused on the female driven audience because we feel like it's a huge, they're, they're already, we have huge hits on Netflix that are female driven pieces and it feels like there's a way for us to serve the female driven audience even further in this space. Adrian Line type of movies, you know, uh, Fatal Attraction, What Lies Beneath, aspirational movies like Working Girl, Devil Wears Prada, Nancy Myers-esque type rom-coms. It feels like there's a huge opportunity in the multicultural space to do big, eventy, star-driven, filmmaker-driven, high-concept multicultural films. Crazy Rich Asians, Training Day, you know, the first Fast and the Furious was that, right? Friday, set it off, rush hour, right? Like that's a triumvirate, (laughs) you know, of like films, right? So it feels like there's like a big opportunity to kind of really focus in on that. And then genre, you know, grounded science fiction, ex machina, close encounters, arrival, action, thriller, the fugitive, Sicario. It'd be great to do like a dirty Harry type of franchise that's like a character, a great character concept that you build a franchise around. Horror is really interesting to me. I worked on Stephen King's It several years ago at Warner's. And so kind of IP-driven horror like that, that can be kind of bigger and more eventy, and or high-end filmmaker-driven horror, like Juan Bayona doing The Orphanage. Or right now, we actually on our last day of shooting um, The Deliverance, which is Lee Daniels doing his possession movie. What are some other movies that Lee Daniels has worked on? Lee's most recent film was the Billie Holiday movie that he did with Audra Day starring. She was nominated for many awards for that, which was so exciting. She's actually the star of this film as well. So that's really exciting. He's done numerous amazing films. Precious, The Butler. He's just a fantastic auteur filmmaker. And this will be very unique because it's very character driven. And it really is about the family dynamics of this family and how they come together to deal with, you know, the, the uh, uh, possession, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the horror aspects of the film. And so I think it's going to be really, really cool to see Lee's singular vision and taste in the way he approaches storytelling, specifically in the framework of a horror, classic horror setting. So I can't wait. I, it's, it's looking really beautiful. I can't wait for, for people to see it. So that's a version to me of the type of like event horror I'd want to do, which is Mm -hmm. really driven by a singular filmmaker and a singular vision, but within this classic horror framework of a possession film, like an exorcist. It feels like that area that you're focusing on, we keep referencing the older films. It's like they kind of went out of favor or something changed in the industry. Is that why we're focusing so much? Does it fit into Netflix's broader strategy in some way? Well, yes, we're, we're focusing on that because the, the thought is because those films have kind of gone away. And, and, and not to say that 
people around town or in the marketplace aren't making those films, but they are more outliers, right? When they are made, they're not so much the strategy or the mandate. And so to really, it just felt like an opportunity to really focus in on, let's make a lot of romances and rom-coms because there's an audience that is still starving for those films. Let's make a great, like, grounded action franchise because there's still an audience that's starving for those films. And it feels like Netflix is uniquely suited to lean into that and serve those audiences. We really want to make films that have impact globally. We really want to try and find great stories and put them together with great storytellers so that regardless of who you are, where you live, what your background is, it moves you. It resonates with you. You can relate to it or it's a wish or a dream kind of realized on screen. But like, that's really our goal. You know, I would say on the scripted feature film side, what's incredibly exciting is the diversity of storytelling. The fact that this is a team where we were fortunate enough to work with someone like a Jane Campion, right? Uh, one of the best of the best on The Power of the Dog. And also in the same year to have the pleasure of supporting new directorial voices, right? Maggie Gyllenhaal with her directorial debut with The Lost Daughter or, Re- or Rebecca Hall, her directorial debut with Passing. Halle Berry, you know, her first foray into directing with Bruised, all incredibly exciting, right? It's also really fun to be the place where you can work on something Oscar-worthy like The Power of the Dog and then also have, you know, deeply commercial films and really fun sort of escapist movies as well, which is incredibly exciting. So to be able to have that sort of diversity of storytelling, I think is incredibly important and and something that we always keep in mind is just how broad the tastes are of our audiences and wanting to give them something exciting to watch every night. I'm very excited about the diversity of films coming out. I love that we have Slumberland, which is a big family fantasy adventure that Francis Lawrence directed with Jason Momoa and a terrific cast. It's beautiful. It's visual. But I also love that we have Bardo coming from Inaritu. And I also love that we have Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. And Ryan Johnson's amazing. So I can't wait to see how audiences react to that film. I'm just really excited about the variety. I'm very excited that we can keep audiences on their toes. One day it's a multi-generational film. One day it's a straight up Academy Award type movie. Maybe it's a, a comedy. Maybe it's a drama. But we're not just giving them the same diet of films week in and week out. That's what we need to be doing. That's what's going to get people excited to have Netflix excited to keep Netflix, excited to watch Netflix, just knowing that there's a steady stream of movies and series and docs and unscripted and just great stuff coming. You know, that's what gets us excited. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxel. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com.